Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Crypto is built by code, but it's composed by people, and each individual member of the crypto community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it, and Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code because Ethereum is people all the way down, and it always has been. Today, I'm talking with Udi Wertheimer, and Udi is one of the most interesting and unique characters, I think, in the crypto industry. He's frequently cited as a troll by many of uh, the people in the Ethereum community, and I think that's just because of his generally cynical and antagonistic disposition. He likes to poke fun, he likes to make some funny jokes, but overall, he's also just really insightful and makes some connections that I think a lot of people fail to make or just forget to make or tends to be a little bit more pragmatic. And so I've always wanted to get Udi on in a much more unfiltered sense. So I think this is a perfect podcast for this because Udi has a persona about him that it's hard to tell if it's a facade, if he's like playing a role or if that's actually Udi. So I'll let you determine for yourself what you think about that. Before we get into that conversation with Udi, we must hear about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. The Brave browser is the user first browser for the Web3 internet with built-in privacy and ad blocking to keep you in charge of your digital footprint. And inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions. It's time to switch to the Brave Wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. The Gemini Exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like Wi-Fi and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Using the Gemini credit card, you can earn crypto rewards on every purchase you make, and your crypto rewards immediately lands in your Gemini account the instant you swipe your Gemini credit card. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with gemini.com slash gobankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's Gemini.com slash GoBankless. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum and is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Hey, Udi. How's it going? Hey, great. What's up? No, nothing much, man. Uh, trying to fight this onslaught of frogs that are in my Twitter mentions. 
don't know if you saw, <laughs> saw that, but it's all that, that antics on Twitter or not. It's always Twitter wars. Always Twitter wars. I like wars. the frogs. Yeah, you're a friend I of the like frogs. I like the frogs. I want, I want to make sure the frogs here that I like the frogs. Yeah. Why, why, why do you like the frogs? I think it's, I think it's a cool meme. I like the meme. What, what is the frog meme to you? It's all about the anti-VC movement, isn't it? That's what it looks like. I don't know. You never know how real this stuff is. Like, if you're a VC, shouldn't you start a meme about being anti-VC and pretend to not be a VC? What, sounds... would be, what would be the game theory behind that? Why would you want that? Well, I mean, you always get a story, right? You always need a narrative for, to get people excited. That seems like a cool narrative now. Are you talking like, about how, like... every coin starting out, like the big, the big thing that everyone has to say about it is that no, these the VCs they got allocations that trying to dump it on you. You know, there's the whole jack dorsey thing going on there's a lot of memes around vcs right now yeah um are you saying that like it's a uh, a tactic that people are leaning into i mean isn't everything yeah for sure <laughs> it is i'm a very cynical person david yeah you are you are quite cynical <laughs> yeah udi uh how did you get into crypto it's like it's probably been around uh roughly 2014 and um I, uh, I back then used to think that, you know, like stuff like BitTorrent and, and decentralized file sharing is cool, like technologically, like I'm a software engineer by trade. So I was excited by the technology behind it. Then someone told me about Bitcoin. And I was like, Hey, that's similar. <laughs> that's cool. And, um, and also I had some brief experience with online poker. It wasn't really very good, but I, I played like recreationally, you could say. I somehow managed to not lose money. And I, I believe there was this big event that they called the Black Friday of online poker, which I think was in 2011, but I, I'm not sure anymore. And what happened was that, you know, the FBI kind of froze the funds of a bunch of uh, big poker sites. And that's where a lot of poker players realized that their money isn't you know their digital money isn't really theirs because you used to log in you see a number you say okay that's my money and then one one day it's gone so i kind of had this concept that i think a lot of people didn't have back then of well most digital money isn't really yours so that was easy for me to grasp how bitcoin is different in that way which i think a lot of people you know looked at me very confused when i would try to explain that so that's probably why I was excited about it. It took me a while, though, to, you know, get over my fears and to really dive in and and look at it as an investment. That took a while, for sure. You know, I went through, for, I went through, um, you know, this one hype cycle where, you know, I bought some Bitcoin. I saw it. I don't know, whatever it was, like triple in value fairly quickly. And then, you know, dump 50% fairly quickly again or whatever. And I was like stressed. So I was like, okay, I'll get out with my 30% gains, <laughs> feeling like a very smart person. And um, it took me a while to see that it's a long-term thing, which is probably how I, you know, I also kind of realized, okay, it's not just about the technology to me, at least. It's also, you know, there's a financial revolution going on here. Probably when I started realizing that you can, you know, you can take your Bitcoin, you could put them in exchanges and you can, you know, you can use it, you can do stuff with it that, that I knew for a fact that I otherwise couldn't do 
Like, you know, I live in Israel for me back then it was very difficult to get, you know, to get an account in a foreign brokerage, right? It's a difficult thing. It will have to go through hell to do that. But with Bitcoin, I was like, Oh, I just deposit the thing. I can do whatever I want. That's amazing. And, um, that's probably where when things started to click. It was all Ponzi's, by the way, but still. <laughs> what do you? What was all Ponzi's? I mean, the the you know the things you could trade, mm. mostly old Ponzi's. Definitely back then, you know, like <laughs> it was really ridiculous. Like the the the, the altcoins of twenty fourteen and fifteen were absolutely insane. They were mostly jokes. Like I think most people saw them as a joke. Did you take any of them seriously? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't consider Bitcoin to be a Ponzi. You, you thought it was Bitcoin is the one thing and then it's just inside of just a sea of Ponzi's. Yeah. Yeah, I did. It was, I mean, it took me a while to see Bitcoin that way too, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it was easy to think that back then, right? Because the, the Bitcoin, <laughs> the others were literally clones. Like you, they literally, they took Bitcoin, they changed a couple of lines, they changed the logo and the name and that's it, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all it was. So, so it was very easy to, to see them as jokes. And, you know, have you ever heard of, um, uh, what did they call it? Aurora coin? Oh, vaguely. Yeah. It's been a while since I've heard that name. Yeah. So that was, it was hilarious because that was, I think... I think the story was that it was the coin of Iceland or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) And like, obviously, you know, obviously the government had nothing to do with it. They, they were like, they're just saying, Oh, we're going to, I think they have, they claim that the the government has some sort of an open database of citizens. And they claim that they will just airdrop uh, a number of tokens to every citizen but before they did the airdrop, there was like a long period of, I don't know, a month or two where it, where it was just, you know, they just sold it <laughs> to the market. And then, you know, they pumped the price very nicely. It was, it was actually one of the biggest, <laughs> everyone, everyone was talking about it because it, it grew spectacularly, but it was complete, you know, it was ridiculous. Like, obviously, I think it was obvious to everyone this was not going to become the coin of Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, people bought into the narrative and then, of course, you had dozens of other country coins, like people mm-hmm. popped up with a Greek coin and a France coin and they had a coin for every country. And obviously, like, you know, two to three months later, that stupid narrative died and, and it disappeared. So that was just one example. But that was, you know, just like everyone is talking about layer ones and metaverse now, back then, was those three months, everyone was only talking about country coins. <laughs> Yeah, that, I was about to ask, these antics, this behavior seems very, very, um, a lot of parallels to some of the antics we, I think we see today in 2021. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I for sure. Um, and, you know, it's true for uh, traditional markets, too. I mm. think it's just more pronounced here in crypto, uh, a lot more pronounced. But yeah, it is similar. However, um, I think, you know, the quality of the jokes improved. They're, they're, they're not... You know, it used to be so so stupid. Mm-hmm. Really, it was it was absurd, and I think I think it has a lot to do with um, um, you know how a lot of the earlier Bitcoiners still see altcoins as a complete joke because you know that's what that's what they were. Um, they really were, and mm-hmm. I would say they've they've improved somewhat. <laughs> it's not like you know, it's not like it's amazing now. 
They've improved somewhat. Improved in what sense? What did they improve upon? I think so. You know, first of all, things you know, they're actual things that work, right? That's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so they're going from Ponzi's to actually like legitimate projects with legitimate things behind them. A lot of them are still Ponzi's. So you know, you, you, like a, a cool thing to do now apparently is to do a you know a game, a play turn game or whatever, and um, attach some attach a token to it and a lot of these tokens i'm going to name names a lot of these tokens are really built as a ponzi with 3d or 2d graphics basically Mm -hmm. and so a lot of them are still ponzis but at least (laughs) there's something going on and also you know i don't mind if people want to participate in ponzi's be my guest you know do you subscribe to the notion that every financial asset is a Ponzi at the end of the day? You could say that maybe, and that's fine. Um, You know, there are definitely a lot of dynamics around, you know, most token projects that you look at today, it's like their main focus is how to incentivize people to stake things for the long term or the short term or whatever. And like the the entire focus of what you're doing is the Ponzi-nomics of it. Is to make number go up, right. Yeah. I mean, but you could say that about like a company on like the NASDAQ or NYSE, right? Like the purpose of Apple is to make number go up, right? It's the same thing. I think the difference you're highlighting is like, well, in order for Apple to make number go up, they make really good iPhones and they make better and better iPhones. Whereas they're trying to make a fun game, but like, it's really about like where the intentions and how quickly they're trying to go after the token price rather than actual, like a legitimate product. Yeah. And I think probably at the end of the day, you know, some people will say that it's because of regulations. Like Apple would have done the same things if it wasn't regulated that way. <laughs> I, I, I think that's not true. I think that the reason that it's happening is because that's what it's doing now. That's probably not going to continue forever. Uh, the demand for Ponzi's is at some point. I don't know when. But at some point, it's probably going to die down a little bit. And um, and then, you know, people will be forced to do something else to make the number go up. Uh, right now, it's easy and effective. So that's what people do. Because crypto is just like filled with all these Ponzi's of different flavors and kind of always has been since the genesis. Is that one of the reasons why you are describe yourself as cynical or were you cynical before you got into crypto? Oh, I was always cynical. Always been cynical? <laughs> yeah, it's a genetic thing probably. Yeah. Has your sense of humor changed by being in crypto or again has your sense of humor always been what it is uh you know probably probably has been always similar yeah. but um but the topic changed <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the same idea have you ever developed like a core thesis about crypto oh i i, I have developed a billions billion core theses and i keep changing them all the time in, in that case i don't think it counts as core i think it just counts as theses uh, fair enough. It's a short-term core thesis. <laughs> it's, it's designed. It's designed to be a core thesis, but then it fails. Uh-huh. Um, I think you know above all else, and that I think I think we probably talked about this before. Actually, on, on one of the other podcasts, I think that um, to me, and I think to most people I see, it's not really about the technology. Even though I'm kind of a technologist at heart, I don't think that that's the issue here i think that the thing is that we are finally able to just do whatever we want with our money and that's very new relatively 
and just you know because that happens then then a lot of crazy shit is gonna <laughs> is gonna happen with it i think that's i think that's all it is and it's very hard to predict like how it plays out um you know i would imagine that the next year will be very different from than the next than the, the last one you seem like a guy who rides the wave rather than tries to steer the ship yeah yeah you can say that i think steering the ship is hard <laughs> yeah it's hard. And it's it's like there are things you can affect in life, but um the market is probably not one of them, right? Like you you if you trust the flow, I think that makes you makes it easier to, you know, affect other things in your life that matter more, right? So I'm I'm a big believer in um not trying to change the world. <laughs> why un- unpack that? Why why do you believe in not trying to change the world? You know, um, Jordan Peterson has this uh, thing where he says, clean your room, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how cringe you think Jordan Peterson is, but he, he has this thing where he says, like, clean your room. And, and the, the point is, like, before you try to, you know, before you sit and, and try to describe how you should change the government and how you should change society and how you should change, like, first, you know, figure yourself out. And the, you know, the nice side about this, it's a feedback loop, right? Because if you... If you start with yourself while also, you know, you integrate yourself in the world, you, you don't become a loner um, and you, you go with the flow where it comes to how society as a whole functions while trying to affect, you know, yourself, your friends, your family, or your, your immediate community, then, you know, you take power from the world, from society, and you use it to, to change the things around you that you care about that you care deeply about i feel like that's the way to go at least for me but there are a lot of you know there are a lot of cool people who are changing the world which i find amazing that's amazing too isn't his notion of cleaning your room is like if you're interested in changing the world you got to make sure that it's like put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on your neighbor right i feel like that's a similar metaphor yeah it's 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 yeah it's definitely also about you know um like really how can you think you can you you even can fix society if you haven't fixed you know if you haven't cleaned your room yet right how can you even imagine that you can fix the government if you're you know if your family is dysfunctional is your room clean right now udi yes yeah you have a clean room i i i blurred it out i blurred it out but it is clean (laughs) it is actually pristine doesn't that mean that, uh, according to Jordan Peterson, you're ready to move and start to clean up the world because your room's clean? Step one is done. Step two is to help change the world. I might. I don't. I. I really. You know. I don't have aspirations to change the world. Right. I. I don't like. What would I change? I think the world is fine. I know that we love to say in crypto that everything is going up in flames and we're the we're gonna save everyone. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think the world. I, I'm old, David. I don't think the world is going up in flames. I think it's fine as it is. And, and you know, we have uh, unique challenges in the last couple of years, but um, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. So I don't want to change the world, but you're right. Um, there's definitely, there's definitely uh, room to venture outside of the room. You said you're an optimist rather than a pessimist? Yeah. You're a cynical optimist. Is that an oxymoron or how do you square those two things? To me... At least in my mind, I use cynicism to just, you know, just understand, understand the world, right? And mm-hmm. I at least tell myself that it helps 
remove layers of fake narratives and that just helps at least helps me personally analyze things and i i just happen to once you do that things usually aren't that bad (laughs) now that said you know a lot of things did go did get worse in the last couple of years um i kind of um established a lifestyle of a digital moment kind of because i wasn't happy with how things were going back home so you could, you know, you could hold that a pessimistic view, but I think, you know, to me, um, and especially, you know, for me, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to do that, um, to be flexible and to position myself in a way that even if, well, my home country is kind of flipping out so I can go somewhere else. And if, you know, my boss is annoying me, I can go somewhere else. So that's great. Um, I know that not everyone can do that, but um, I think that's a good you know, that's a great thing to strive for. And I think that's a, something that can give a lot of people optimism. You know, I, I, a lot of people are complaining about the situation that the world puts them in, but it will actually easier to feel hopeful when you feel like you can change things for yourself and for the people you care about. Instead of changing everyone around you, which I'm just not interested in doing anymore. I'm too old for them. I'm too old. They can do whatever they want. If there was one thing about the crypto industry that you could snap your fingers and change, what would it be? Or is this something that you don't even consider because this is just not what you think about? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Probably the meme coins, right? They're so triggering. The meme, the meme coins trigger you? Man. It's funny that you say that because some people would call you yourself a meme. But I'm not a meme coin. That's the difference. <laughs> you can be a, like, memes are great. Memes are fantastic. I love memes. But meme coins, you know why people are so frustrated about them, right? Like I'm not the only one. Uh, of course. I think it's the it's the it's the text messages. You get <laughs> you get a text message from a friend from high school and he's like, "Hey, I heard you're into Bitcoin or Ethereum in your case." So like, "So what do you think about uh Shib? Fluffy Inu?" Yeah. And, and I'm like, "Come on, man. Like I don't even <laughs> <laughs> What 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 do you even say?" and you don't want to say don't buy it because Mm -hmm. maybe it goes you know maybe 10x is tomorrow i don't know i don't want to be responsible for that (laughs) so like i don't know i don't know what to you know and and then i know a lot of people on the bitcoin side are very frustrated about it and i'm sure a lot of people on the ethereum side are very frustrated about it too that 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 you feel like oh there are so many things that i'm eager to talk to you about and i'm eager to show you and that are you know that are exciting Mm-hmm. and and that could change your life and you're talking to me about this dog coin and then to make it worse they make money too like <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> i kind of think that the world's only going to lean more into memes i kind of think that like we are now living in like remember in 2017 when um the arizona iced tea company added blockchain to their name and then their stock price like 3x or whatever like that was indicative of uh, what was to come. I think like Dogecoin is now a force to be reckoned with. Shib is a force. I think we're leaning into more and more meme coins, and I think with crypto, we actually start to uh, kind of just change the game of what it means to invest. Now there's the fundamentals, but then now there's also like, all right, well, how good is the meme at the same time? Yeah, which is kind of in my mind, it's a little nihilist. It's like a little uh, nothing matters. Therefore, like f it, I'll just ape into Shib. Because nothing matters. <laughs> yeah, it's um, 
if you think back at about let's say when you started up out with ethereum uh i don't know much about that period in your life but i can i can imagine i can guess that um you probably i mean i'm sure that you saw a lot in the technology and i'm sure you saw a lot in kind of the opportunity to build but also i'm sure you saw you know a community and and a chance to belong with like-minded people who have mm-hmm. similar motivations to you. Mm-hmm. And now if you're, you know, if you're an investor in your very early 20s, right? Sometimes even younger. So first of all, your motivations are not going to be about the tech. You don't care. You don't understand it. And you don't care to understand it either. And it doesn't make you a bad or stupid person. Just not one of your interests, right? You have other interests in life. And the reason you're, you're doing any of this is because, well, you can't, you will never own a home, right? If you just continue working as an Uber driver, that's not going to work. So you have to try other things. That I have no issue with whatsoever. I think it's it's excellent. And then you find a community of like-minded people who are saying, look, I'm going to try anything. I will try anything to, to get out of this rat race. And now you belong to that community. And whether or not, like, I don't know, whether or not are you, is it actually going to work for you? It's mostly a lottery. I don't know. But you are going to be with those people, with those like-minded people. And I think if you stick around with the people, not with the coin, then eventually you'll probably find something that works. So that's okay. The counterpoint, though, is meme coins have such short lives sometimes. Not all of them, but sometimes. So like, how long is this community going to last? But if you, if you pick correctly, I think there could be something there. Maybe. Do you have opinions as to which blockchains, which currencies, which tokens actually like quote unquote win out? Do you have desires about what the end state of crypto looks like? I doubt that the winners are going to be the names we're familiar with now. Um, maybe some of them. Does that include Bitcoin? I don't know if Bitcoin even competes. Like, uh, I think that, you know, like who's competing with Bitcoin right now? You might, you'll probably say Ethereum, but I think it's, you know, I think it's very different, right? I, I, I just don't think, you know, I think when I think of who's competing in crypto, I'm like Binance and FTX and Solana and, 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 you know, whatever. I don't need to say all the names. And then there's going to be probably new ones. And I don't know, like, does just JP Morgan get into that? Can they? Can they play that game at all? I don't know. Like, who knows? But um, it still seems early enough to say who's going to win. And Bitcoin is just, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's just money. It's just, it's just like money is a big word. It's just like, it's literally digital gold, I think. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you don't talk about, you know, digital gold, like physical gold competing with, with Apple stock. So I don't know. I don't know what's, it's different. Do you think that there are winners though? I think, you know, so they're, okay. So they're going to be, they're, they're, they're a bunch of verticals, right? So if we're talking about the smart contract thing, um, I think that I would imagine as we go on and assuming that this becomes mainstream, it still did not, right? Like, I guess NFTs is one thing that kind of went mainstream and the rest of it didn't really. So, so let's, let's take the NFT example. I would imagine that in, you know, in, in two, three years from now, assuming NFTs are still around, then probably uh, people will not know which chain their NFT is on and 
which chain the the marketplace is on and they're just going to have an app on their phone they're going to use it and they're not going to be exposed to bullshit like transactions and gas and whatever it's just going to work does it even matter who powers it i'm not sure like does eventually in the end state does it matter i don't know like who, what do you gain from being the infrastructure of that i'm not sure that anything because again like you could say okay some networks will try to you know attach the tokenomics of their to- preferred token to the usage of the network but if you do that then long term they just want to use your token because why would they pay you they could use aws especially for nfts right it's just you know you don't need anything so so they'll go i what i'm trying to say is i think eventually as time goes by that will move and that can take years but that will move to probably just the cheapest option i don't know what that is but that's probably where and and people won't even know what they're using so i don't know i don't even know what it means to win that in the long term in the short term sure someone will you know win big as uh, at least in in things like you know market cap and, and price and you know the the war seems to have been picking up a lot of steam lately so if you think that a bunch of users won't care about what system what chain that their nfts are on or they won't know they won't even care to investigate and they're just going to migrate to the cheapest option in your mind does that simultaneously also mean that people just don't care about decentralization and they'll just go to the most centralized chain because that's how you get cheap fees yeah yeah i mean well it depends what you're doing right like I'm not, but if I were to provide liquidity to some shitcoin with a hundred million dollars, maybe I would care a lot about decentralization. Maybe I would be concerned and about you know people having control over this, and I would want to remove as many trust assumptions as I can because it's a lot of money. But if I'm buying penguins, why would I care? Like I don't, I don't think you care. I don't think most people care. That's fine. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. The fact that they can do this at all owes some credit to decentralization. If you didn't have a coin you can pay with, then you couldn't do any of this because PayPal isn't going to let you do this. And, and you know, like whoever isn't going to let you do this. You know, there are some NFT drops that you can buy with a credit card, but they're definitely not going to let you do the marketplace thing with, with, with a credit card usually. Although I think that, NBA Top Shot did that. I think they did, but it's complicated. <laughs> so, so you can owe that to centralization, and and maybe that's how things kind of progress. So you're going to have these apps that are mostly centralized, not entirely centralized, but maybe they will use uh, stable coins or ETH or Bitcoin or whatever as their currency. That kind of makes sense to me. I don't think that people will care too much about decentralization. Now that that depends on the people, right? Like if you're an early Ethereum community per member, and you you know you bought or, or or got punks early, or you got you know one of the other ones early, and you're like this is part of your identity, and you believe in that, that might never change, and and maybe you're gonna continue focusing on on owning that with your own keys and and whatnot, and that's fine. Maybe that community is gonna keep doing that, but that's what I'm saying is that's gonna become a niche, and if this thing stays mainstream, you know, new people are not gonna care about this history. Like they'll be like, okay, if I can afford this 
we'll talk about it then. But until then, uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna care about this at all. I, I can't imagine they would. It's kind of it's almost like you know right now it's like a, it's an obstacle they have to go through, and and you know we we see everyone uh, making fun of you know Bay C holders right now uh for losing their keys and, and whatever because and you know it's easy to make fun of them but like wh- what are they supposed to do they just found out about this and it is confusing and if it was a centralized app that you download to this to your phone and it won't happen and you know coinbase is going to get into this uh, more heavily and there are probably going to be others and and i would imagine that they'll try to push the more custodial centralized approach because honestly i think for most people it's better it's a better user experience so I do agree that leaning into like maximum decentralization on your assets is like super not appropriate for newbies until they know what they're doing. But I feel like the easy answer to that is like, well, Coinbase has their NFT platform coming out and it's going to be a custodial centralized thing. That should be where people start. And then being able to withdraw it because they've also indicated that a Coinbase NFT platform isn't going to be a walled garden. You're going to be able to put your apes in and move your apes out. And so like, so long as you have the ability to like live a decentralized life by like doing your stuff on decentralized things, I think you'll be able to easily like migrate between centralized platforms like, you know, Coinbase's NFT platform and, you know, whatever decentralized version of OpenSea comes up. How do you feel about that version of the future? Yeah, it's, it sounds reasonable. Um, but even then, like, why do you, why do you ever NFTs? to a decentralized platform rather than moving it to another centralized platform. So like, let's say you buy it on Coinbase. Now you want to sell it and you believe that maybe for whatever reason you can get a better price on another platform. So that would be a reason to move. Honestly, that's the only reason I can think of to move. I mean, you can say, oh, I want the custody of my NFT, but like, what does it mean, man? Like it's a penguin. Like, I, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean... I, I, I really don't know what it means. I don't know. I don't know why would anyone want that. Again, fine. You know, if you buy, I get it. You buy an NFT for it for a million bucks or 10 million bucks or 50 million bucks, then okay, maybe you have some thoughts about custody then. But like if it's, what are we concerned about? That, that Coinbase is going to steal your NFTs, that, that, that they're going to get hacked and, and people are going to steal the NFTs like this? It strikes me as ridiculous. Like, I, I, you know, if that happens, then Coinbase will reissue the NFT. Like, you know, <laughs> it feels it feels absurd to talk. Um, well, I think rather than like a, the technical properties of decentralization, like if you want to do like money Lego type stuff with your NFTs, if you want your NFTs to be composable, you kind of have to have self custody over it. Well, yeah, um, you don't necessarily have to. You can have composability with centralized APIs too, but so far, that's not really what's happening. So, mm-hmm. so I, I I get what you're saying there. If you want to, you wanted to use it and leverage it in in, in other apps mm-hmm. that are not marketplaces. Yeah, maybe Coinbase isn't going to offer you all the services you want. Right. Yeah, okay. I can I can kind of see that, but that's that's really like the the you know at least for now that's the very sophisticated end of the market mm-hmm. um, when it comes to tokens when it comes to coins on nfts it doesn't really exist significantly yet so could it happen maybe yeah i feel like it's probably going to be probably going to remain a sophisticated thing sophisticated Mm -hmm. people do bankless is proud to be sponsored by uniswap 
Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a unique grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, as well as EVM compatibility when developing, visit develop developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi, creating the world's most powerful trading platform. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot, and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot is a social experience. Chat with others online about trading, markets, and tokens via the platform's built-in global chat box featuring Web3 sign-in. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT, or soon, a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. Udi, uh, who are your heroes in the crypto world? Do you have any anybody that you look up to? Come on, obviously Sam Bankman-Fried. Like, yeah, that's the default answer. Yeah, yeah. Why Sam? Look, the guy showed up. Uh, what was it, 2017? And he just bootstrapped an empire at a time when, you know, it's funny, but back then, everyone thought like, hey, if you don't have an exchange running by now, that's it. <laughs> You're done. It's Gonna be Betrex forever or whatever it was back then. I guess Binance. I mean, he bootstrapped an empire very quickly. I think that's amazing. And um, what about Sam? Is it just his accomplishments that you have a ton of respect for? No. So I was about to say, and the you know the the thing I really admire is that he's um, he seems to be very flexible in his um, thinking. So at least from what I can see publicly, he seems to change his mind fairly often and. He adapts to new information very quickly and very well. And I think it's a very likable ability to have. I mean, he's really good at it. <laughs> he's really good at changing his mind? I think that's a good thing. Look, the world changes so often in the last couple of years. that I think you you need to be very flexible in the way you look at things. But crypto moves so much faster than the outside world. 
And so I think inside of crypto, there is benefit to changing your mind less. Yeah, you need an anchor, right? You need a, a reference point. Being able to adapt is really, really useful. But if you're trying to adapt as fast as crypto is, like you're probably a retail person who's just trying to chase pumps. Well, you know, if we're talking about Sam, then... Uh, yeah, no, I, mean, I wasn't talking about Sam, yeah. I'm pretty sure he has some deeply rooted beliefs <laughs> as an anchor. Uh-huh. Um, if you're asking about me, I think that, again, what I find exciting about all this is that we can finally do whatever we want with, uh, you know, just money. Doesn't that require decentralization? Because the whole point about we can do whatever we want and it's enabled by permissionlessness, which requires decentralization. Yeah. So, so I've been thinking about this a lot um, for years, really. And the way I see it these days is that I think um, it's funny because a lot of, you know, back in the 2015, 16, 17 block size wars in Bitcoin, which are kind of mythological at this point. A lot of the losers of that debate used to say what I'm gonna what I'm gonna say now, which is multiple ways to go about decentralization. Like, you know, there's the Bitcoin way, which is very protective and defensive, and tries to imagine the you know the the worst things that could happen and optimize for that. Which is why I think you know Bitcoin will flourish in a doomsday scenario of the world. Just don't know that I particularly want that to happen. But I think Bitcoin is great for that. And there are other approaches which are going to say, okay, technically, there are definitely switches that you could use to turn off a thing. But the existence of multiple competing platforms with different switches and different jurisdictions and different individuals, and some of them are anonymous and others are not. And some of them are in Singapore and others are in the Bahamas and others are in the US, God forbid. And the, you know, and all of those differences between them, they ensure continuity of the movement. Is one of those gonna fail? Probably yes. At least one. <laughs> Probably. But you don't necessarily have to have the most robust, reliable option it's very unlikely that the most robust and the most reliable option will be the only one that survives because for that they will have to be able to attack everything else which has different weaknesses so that's hard you know so they'll probably go after some of it you know one thing that is very central to this whole thing obviously is, is tether and usdc and the others those seem like very obvious targets but even there, we have multiple and we don't have only one and there are different approaches. I feel fairly confident that, you know, at least some of them will stick around. And I think that's a better way because, you know, I don't know what the best approach is. Like you could say some stable coins are more decentralized than others, but are they better? I'm not sure because they have their own issues and their own problems. So I think it's great to have multiple options. That's what true decentralization is. We don't know which one is going to get attacked harder and more effectively. So we have a lot of them. I think that's the way to go. And Ethereum is much less likely to fall than, let's say, Solana. It's much more likely that Ethereum will stick around for the long term than that Solana would. But it's still not guaranteed in my mind. So I'm happy there are other approaches. Um, that's how I look at it. Mm -hmm. Who else other than Sam in the crypto industry do you consider a, a hero? Ah, uh, Hal Finney. 
Mm. Seems to have been a really cool guy. Mm -hmm. Do you think he's Satoshi? Well, who knows? I wouldn't really know. I think it seems like it's, um, seems like it's possible, but I don't have, (laughs) I don't have anything smart to say about it. Okay. Maybe. What about, um, outside the crypto industry in the real world? Do you have any heroes there? Well, I, I showed some affinity to Jordan Peterson already. Mm-hmm. Why Jordan Peterson? Are you religious? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not religious, but I, um, you know, I'm lucky to to have friends who are each in their, you know, I'm not going to mention them, but each in their own way, I find to be some of the most, you know, moral and upstanding members of whatever community they want to be a part of and productive so really just great human beings and it might be a coincidence but <laughs> that's my impression that's the kind of the luck i had meaning uh, people who do consider themselves religious so i even though you know i grew up in an environment that you know look looks at religious people kind of funny i actually appreciate religious people a lot while i'm not myself i find that you know there's a popular from, from what you know people of faith believe Udi, do you consider yourself a lone wolf or are you a part of a community somewhere? Um, I still consider myself a Bitcoiner, even though the Bitcoin community is very angry at me most of the time. But, uh, but like, aren't they angry at everyone all the time? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, they, they're angry at a lot of people. That's true. <laughs> um, some niches of the Ethereum community. And when I'm saying some niches, it's true for it's true for Bitcoin too, right? Because a lot of people. Look, most of the Bitcoiners I know are not, well, probably not most by numbers, but the Bitcoiners I'm closest to, I didn't meet on Twitter and I met them in real life and they're, you know, they're nothing like the personalities that you do meet on Twitter. That's kind of a small sect of what Bitcoiners are. I think most Bitcoiners are, you know, fairly pragmatic, like, look. To be honest, if you if you're someone who was early-ish to Bitcoin, then you're probably somewhat insane. If you bought Bitcoin early and stuck around, then there's probably something wrong with you. <laughs> um, but it it worked out. <laughs> so so yeah, you're gonna have you know those people are they're colorful, they're interesting, mm-hmm. um, but most of them are great people. We started off this conversation talking about about the frogs, and I, I kind of think that like there's a significant amount of overlap between like the cyber hornets and like the frog nation. The bitcoiners will like come after you if you say something dumb, and and it feels very much in the same way that the frogs will will do the same. Do you agree with that? I mean, I think it's a strong community. Look, this this happens, but I don't think that that's the main thing i see from them you know the bitcoiners okay so not from the frog people and the bitcoiners i think it's gotten worse this year well not this year last year but i don't know if it's me that noticed it more or if it really did get worse uh but i I feel it feels like it got worse define worse well i think you know i think a lot of the more moderate people kind of disappeared and what was left was just very extreme I'm not known as being the nicest person in the world. And it's I'm I'm fine with people not being super nice on Twitter. I don't think it particularly matters if you're nice or not nice. It's like whatever, you know, people have their own personalities. But there's this um there's this disdain to any form of knowledge, really. 
which is alarming. Like people refuse to even look into stuff. You know, when I used to give, you know, you Ethereum people shit all the time, at least I knew what I was talking about technically, you know, like at least I, you know, I did my homework, right? Now, a lot of my analysis was wrong, but at least I was analyzing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the reason that matters is it just looks bad <laughs> when you decide that you have to talk very confidently and very negatively about something that clearly you do not understand at all. Um, then it, it's a it's a, just a bad look. Mm-hmm. And these days, I think that a lot of the people who are new, like any, I think most of the people, if not all of the people who get to Bitcoin these days almost without a doubt went through some other coin before they got to bitcoin i think that's great but you can't fool them because they're not idiots you know imagine you 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 log you log into twitter you're only like two you have two months of experience in crypto then this bitcoiner shows up who has whatever he's holding bitcoin for i don't know how many decades and he's telling you, no, you don't get this and you don't get that. And that's not how it is. And that's not how it is. And he's like, but dude, I, you do not know what you're talking about. I have two months of experience. I know more than you. That's not a good look. That's not very impressive. And again, that's, I think that's not Bitcoiners. I don't think that's the Bitcoin community. That's a small sect that unfortunately uh, became more and more seen as representative of the Bitcoin community. They're, I mean, you know, I, 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 of course I can, we can wax poetically about how there's no official representative and there's no, that, but that's what people see, you know, they log in, there's a bunch of people with a Bitcoin logo on their, their profile picture. And that's what they see. That's what people perceive as Bitcoiners. And that's a problem. I, I hope that changes. I think, it, I think there's a chance this change. Um, because I think it's kind of jumped the shark last year. And what about Bitcoin jumped the shark? Well, not Bitcoin. Bitcoin is oh, great. Okay. Bitcoin doesn't need anything. Oh, the Bitcoin community? The, the loud parts of the right. Bitcoin community, yeah. You know, what's the Bitcoin community? The early Ethereum community is a Bitcoin community too, right? A lot of people who are Bitcoiners are also, you know, they're dabbling in shitcoins. Uh, they might not even call them shitcoins. Some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them see a lot of interest in NFTs. And I think that will continue. Some people were kind of afraid to talk about that. I see that changing too. So I am optimistic about this. I think there is a chance that it will get better. How strong do you think the correlation is between the goodness of a community and the value of an asset on the secondary markets? Well, look, there is in the sense that I mean, you need you need people to hold the thing, and and one of the reasons that they're going to continue to hold the thing is the you know the quality of the memes. We talked about this before, so the you know, the community does affect things. And you know, I think you know, like Michael Saylor uh, was probably at least partially kind of orange pilled by by some some of the more uh, prominent uh, Bitcoin community members. So it has an effect for sure, but again. The Bitcoin community is not what we see on Twitter. You know, like there's so many people who hold Bitcoin and don't even bother to, they don't care what happens on Twitter. They don't even know it exists. They don't buy Bitcoin books and they don't watch Bitcoin podcasts and, you know, they have better things to do in life. Might be just as influential, if not more influential. They just do it in other ways. 
Yes, community matters. I'm not sure that this is really the community. It looks like it is, but, uh, you know, like a lot of these people, honestly, don't want to be a dick about it, but honestly, they joined fairly recently. They don't hold a lot of Bitcoin. So, you know, how much, <laughs> how much effect on the market can they have? So we have to put it in perspective. And I think that Bitcoin is bigger than all of us, really. Um, I don't think that our little fights are going to change the long-term trajectory of Bitcoin. But I care about the short term, too. And I think, you know, if it's kind of, um, can you imagine, you know, there's some people, this is something, for example, that I haven't seen in the Ethereum end ever. There are people in Bitcoin community who would say, we don't want, and they say that explicitly, we don't want people to join if they don't understand the greatness and importance of our ideals and our morals, and if they're not going to run their own node and, and, and mix their coins, and uh, then they're not real Bitcoiners. We don't want them. And if they're not going to do it, that's great. And that, to me, is reprehensible. It's like, if you truly believe that this thing is going to improve people's lives, <laughs> and you actively dissuade them from using it... <laughs> how do you reconcile that exactly like that's that's insane i don't know if you truly believe that it's a good you know that bitcoin is is going to improve people's lives Mm -hmm. and then you actively want them to stay out then you're a pretty bad person so maybe this is kind of what you're referring to when like some parts of the bitcoin community like jump the shark i kind of think that like some of this energy comes from parts of the Bitcoin community just want to signal to the other parts of the Bitcoin community, like, oh, I'm a big Bitcoiner. Like, look how much of a Bitcoiner I am. This is where I draw my maxi line, and you have to be at least this maximalist for me to acknowledge your existence. That's kind of what I think is going on. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think it's a very, um, I think it's very similar to what, you know, what happened with the so-called uh, social justice warrior movement things just go, you know, it starts from, I'm not, you know, I I wouldn't consider myself a progressive person at all, but I think that the uh, original basic ideas are at the very least well-intentioned, at the very least. So it starts with definitely good intentions, and then it just gets more and more and more extreme, and it becomes a competition of who's more extreme, and at the end, it's almost unrecognizable, right? Like, it becomes, seems like insanity, and it's a cult. And I think if we don't stop, that's where we that's where we end up. Uh, we've, we've already gone quite a long way, <laughs> but if if we don't if we don't stop, I think that's where we end up. And um, and it's funny, it's sad and funny to see you know a community that a lot of you know a lot of participants consider themselves very right wing, but they still fall to the same trap. So I guess it's not about size anyway; it's just mm-hmm. human behavior. Yeah. What's your biggest critique of the Ethereum community? It's similar. I don't think that the Ethereum community is largely toxic, but I think that um, I see a lot of examples of people who, in my opinion, just don't notice what people's motivations are. And I think that's where the Bitcoin thing comes from, too. Like, you, you, you don't understand what people are looking for. I mean, the Ethereum community doesn't seem to have gone to the extremities that the Bitcoin communities have in the sense of really, like, ridiculing people. <laughs> for for their beliefs and their motivations definitely gone far enough as to not understand them at all and to kind of just say okay so they're wrong and it's the you know, centralization thing and how the other things are less decentralized you know 
sure you can imagine we had those debates in the Bitcoin community so many times. And that's what people said about Ethereum. That's what they said about many other things. And it's like they're, they're not despised and that. And so that so for that reason, there's there's no need for them to exist at all. And it's just a repeat of the mm-hmm. same thing. And I think we, you know, maybe maybe you believe that I think we talked about it last time, kind of said, okay, but there is a right point on the spectrum to be on. And I think that Ethereum is exactly there. And I mean, maybe. I don't feel like I can be that sure about anything, really. It could be, <laughs> but I don't know. And I, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen evidence to that so far. Um, I haven't seen evidence to to others either. But that's why, you know, that's why I believe that in the future, people will not even know or care. But I guess we'll see. What's your uh, biggest critique of Bankless? <laughs> Well, it's the Ethereum focus, man. That's the only yeah. thing. I think you've done a. I think you've done a. You know, you've done an amazing job this year, really. I told you that when we met in person too. I think you guys, um, you know, you grew it very quickly, and you became, you know, a house, household name in crypto. I think you've done an amazing job, and I think if there's one thing that that could make it better is if you focus on other things that are not just Ethereum. And I, I mean, I think you have sometimes, but you're obviously very Ethereum oriented. I think for a lot of new people, that's just not that's just gonna be not gonna be enough for them. The moral stance about it around it, you know, I disagree with. I find it difficult to find any superior morality within Ethereum that, that wouldn't exist on, on other chains, right? So I can't tell you how to do your job, right? You know, you know much better than I do. And but at least intuitively, and also a little bit from experience, I feel like it's easier, you know, let's say uh, Optimism or Arbitrum or Stockware or whatever are finally at a point where they're really ready to take on the world. And I feel like it's going to be easier at that point to sell those, to promote those after showing that you care about the practical solution and not just the politically correct solution, right? So if you're saying, okay, right now, here's an interesting thing going on in Avalanche and in Polygon and in Binance and whatever. And then six months later, you're saying, hey, optimism is doing all of this, but better. That's a lot more approachable and at least to me. Mm-hmm. But you know your audience better than I do. I would say a, a decent amount of the audience would be very, very, um, they would agree with you with that critique. I think perhaps the reason why we haven't done that is that we do believe that this entire space stands on top of decentralization. And there are other chains that are not engineered to reflect that truth. There are some chains that are engineered that just tilt towards centralization more and more and more. So just by the very nature of what the systems are, maybe they are have some measure of decentralization today that makes them viable candidates for conversation and, and you know podcasts and hosting guests. But our critique is that over the long term, just because of the way the delegated proof of stake systems, the the nodes that are just super high juiced up throughputs, that that system eventually tilts towards decentralization. So we think that we are front running the tilt towards centralization by just not talking about it today. How does that justification land with you? Tilt Was that tilt towards centralization or decentralization? The, so many, many of these alternative layer ones that are just like, that have compromised on centralization, but still have some semblance of decentralization. I think a lot of them, if not all of them, actually just tilt towards centralization more and more and more as time goes on. And therefore, like, we're just not going to talk about them just because, like, well, they're in their maximally decentralized state right now, and they're actually only going to become more centralized over time. Yeah, you know, I think that's a 
fairly reasonable prediction. I think it's definitely possible, probably more than possible, but maybe that's what people want. That's the only, I think that they will do most of them, you know, the good ones. I think they will do what's right for the majority of their users. And it's definitely possible that's going to be what's right. I would be, I myself would probably be more bullish on Ethereum if I thought that it would have at least nationality of a more centralized future because I think that's what people want. And I, you know, I think that, you know, the modular approach might enable that to some degree. Like, you know, that's the thing. Like if you do the stock board thing, whatever ZK thing, and let's say that's a huge success. I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Who knows? But let's say it is. And let's say people consider that decentralized networks. So, okay, what happens next? Well, obviously, you're going to have the other L1s do it too, right? And they're going to, someone's quiet eventually, or they're going to start their own L1. Like one of those things is going to happen. And it's not going to be an Ethereum exclusive. That's for sure, you know, if it succeeds. So, you know, if it's a good solution, they'll do it. If they think that the centralized solution is better, they'll do that. I honestly don't know what's the best, but I think they will do what's best for users. Do you have any aspirations for the crypto industry in 2022? Like, is there anything that you want to see come out of the crypto industry this year? Lightning Network on Coinbase. Why? No, I'm joking. Oh, that was a joke. <laughs> Isn't it funny how the people who don't religiously refuse to use exchanges keep harassing exchanges to as Lightning? So <laughs> they listen to you. You're not customers. Right. What do you want? That's a very good question. I'm a big metaverse geek. You know, during the first year of COVID, I uh, I used to run Bitcoin meetup in virtual reality every mm. week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's something I used to do. And that was all fun. A lot of people used to show up for that. I think probably still to this day, they're more, the amount of active users we had back then is probably still bigger than the number of active users on, let's say, decentralized today. <laughs> That's something. But like, but so I'm a, I'm a huge VR geek and nerd. So I don't know. I'm just excited about that field in general, but it's also extremely overhyped mm. now. You mean the metaverse or VR? Well, metaverse specifically, but now, you know, all the VR people are now just calling themselves metaverse people because I mean, VR was a bad name. Did you know that they used to call themselves XR because it's both AR and VR, so like both mm. reality and virtual reality. So they used XR which is like, what is this What is this name? That's how the, they called it the XR industry. Hmm, I did not know that. Yeah, no one did because it was a terrible name. Right. No one cared. And now, <laughs> and now it transitioned completely and fully into the metaverse industry within weeks. So I think at the very least, it's a better name. It's a better buzzword. Metaverse industry? Yeah. You have an Oculus? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of fun. I don't yeah. really use it a lot, but it's fun for fitness. They're cool fitness apps. Dude, like even some of the non-fitness apps can still like break out a sweat. Like Beat Saber, like you can get a sweat during that thing, man. Yeah. What's, what's your favorite uh, Oculus game? I mean, Beat Saber for sure. And um, there's Supernatural is a pretty good one. It's very similar to Beat Saber. Where it's like designed for fitness. So it's mm-hmm. that's a good one. There's a very good PC VR game. I mean, the best, obviously the best is Half-Life Alex. Right. If you have a VR headset, you have to play it. Right. Phenomenal. That's what needs like a wired connection to your PC, right? You can do it wirelessly too, but you need a gaming PC. That one is really good. 
really good. I mean, I said if you have a VR headset, but really you should get a VR headset for that. It's a phenomenal game. What, uh, in 2022, have you uh, any New Year's resolutions? Have you resolved to do anything in 2022? Well, I don't want to share them because I'm obviously not going to actually do them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want people to... <laughs> That's the most Udi thing I could ever think you could say. <laughs> yeah. All right. Why would you uh, not want to do your own New Year's solutions? No, no, I will, but they're private. And okay. uh, let's focus on people this year. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm trying to say something inspirational. <laughs> I, don't know. I have no idea. What do you think my New Year's resolution should be? I haven't, I haven't formally come up with mine yet. I don't know. Like, if you do the same thing you did last year, but bigger, I think that would be good. You mean bankless? Yeah. <laughs> Look, no one reasonable should want you to stop. I think you, you guys are doing a great job. If you continue to focus on people, then I think you'll eventually become multi-chain too. <laughs> uh, we shall see. We shall see. Udi, what do you, when you wake up in the morning, what do you care about? What ends up in your head first thing? Man, the Bitcoin price. Yeah? Right? Check the Bitcoin price first thing? Every day for, for 15 years or whatever. <laughs> however long it has been every single day no not really first thing i think about when i wake up is breakfast man i don't <laughs> that's it i don't have any who knows seriously though what i like to do in the morning is go out uh, to the balcony and just look at this lively city i love that with your coffee are you a morning coffee guy no i actually don't do coffee at all almost. Really? What, what is your vice do you have a vice of choice I mean, I would, in another life, I would have been an alcoholic for sure. I'm mm -hmm. just fighting it very uh, aggressively, but <laughs> I for sure would have been an alcoholic. <laughs> What's your favorite type of alcohol? My favorite is beer and that I just don't drink at all and haven't had a beer in a very long time uh, because it's also, it also doesn't fit into my diet because I'm doing the no carb thing. Oh, you're doing keto stuff? Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> well, it depends. Last time we met in Miami, I was obviously in one of my uh, relapses, <laughs> but I try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard to do crypto conferences and also stick to regiments at the same time. So yeah, if I do drink, it would usually be whiskey, but I try to avoid it most of the time. All right, Udi. Well, any last uh, things I should be picking your brain about that I haven't asked yet? Well, we talked about metaverse, so that's it. That's the most important thing. Metaverse is the most important? Of course. Is Bitcoin greater than 50% of your overall crypto portfolio? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. By a long shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't, it's a, you know, it's a risk adjusted thing, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very sure about Bitcoin and I, I don't need to outperform everyone. It's fine. I'm, I'm okay. And I'm very sure about it. I can sleep well holding Bitcoin. Um, I, I do hold other stuff uh, sometimes, but it's going to be a smaller percentage because there's a much greater risk. It's as simple as that. If, you know, if Bitcoin dips 50% tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to lose a lose a, a minute of sleep over it but the other stuff i'm going to give myself so much shit um you need conviction right you need conviction to hold things for long term so what advice do you have for people that came into crypto in 2021 you know there are two ways to make it one is to gamble and that's going to work for some people the other option is going to be to really dive deep deep and research and i think that if you do that you, need, you know, you're going to need to, especially now, you're going to have to kind of find your niche. It used to be just crypto. And now you're going to have to find your niche inside crypto because it's virtually possible to deep dive into everything. So first of all, find that. 
then do some very, very serious deep dives into the topic of your choice. And I think if you do that consistently, there's still, you know, it's still early, but you need to do that. <laughs> you can't just, oh, I'll just buy ETH or I'll just buy Bitcoin. I don't think that this is going to give, give people what they're looking for. Well, Udi, thank you for coming on this episode of Layer Zero. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cheers, man.